Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. The Salt Lake City School District has been in disarray for a while now. Most recently, as the board parted ways with its first black superintendent, Dr. Timothy Gadsden, the way it all went down was suspicious, to say the least, and the train keeps rolling. Now, they have the summer to restore our faith. So what's the plan? It's Tuesday, May 16th. I'm Ali Bayarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Chris Jones, education reporter for KUTV. It does feel like faith in the Salt Lake City School Board and district is at an all-time low. Do you think that's warranted? You know what they say, uh, past is prologue. And in terms of what we've seen from the Salt Lake City School District, we're talking about five new superintendents. We're talking about a year-long issue where we were dealing with what was going on with Dr. Gatson, the previous superintendent, who had some controversies that he was dealing with. There were a lot of people who said, look, where is the transparency in this process? Why don't we know more about what was going on with Dr. Gatson? And then, you know, as they worked out a deal for him to step away and Ironic, and just so you know, they ended up paying him $220,000 for the remainder of his contract hmm. to essentially do nothing. I mean, they said that he's a consultant, but there hasn't been any consultation from him. I mean, he was basically forced out, right? It came to a point where they, they decided that there was no way that they could work together. And this was the only solution really for them. And then fast forward to just a couple of months ago and this legislative audit that came out uh, that's well dog-eared that I keep at my desk. And some of the information in that audit are troubling, I think, for taxpayers in Salt Lake City. The idea that the Salt Lake City School Board did not manage a precipitous drop in their student population, 17% in 10 years, 5,000 students, and ends up that they had an opportunity to close some elementary schools. They didn't do that. Ends up costing them $3.6 million a year to run these schools because of the added administration, food services, and all the things that go into running a building. And on top of that, Ali, as you know, there have been some accusations that this board has been pretty ugly and political to one another, ugly text messages to one another, uh, ugly things being said about some of the parents. And Just to kind of wrap up this question, I mean, I'm looking, I was just looking at the audit, and this is what the auditor said as a conclusion when talking about the school board. They said, quote, the district's culture and tone at the top created by more board members has the potential to negatively impact the district's internal controls and diminish the district's ability to meet its goals. So, you know, that's legislative speak, but it's also pretty stark about what the legislative auditors thought about what's going on there. Yeah, it does not mince words. Well, the district oversees 
39 schools. Last I checked, they were looking to close around six schools for good, mostly elementary schools. You mentioned it in brief, like where is this coming from? And is that still their plan moving forward? Because things are changing constantly over there. That is true. Well, you know, for about 10 years, there has been this discussion about the possibility of closing predominantly elementary schools. And there was a point where, for example, Binion Elementary was on the list uh, when Lexi Cunningham, the superintendent, two superintendents ago, put it on the agenda and said, look, it's time for us to talk about closing this school. It's underutilized. It's barely halfway full. It's one of many that has some problems with attendance. Meadowlark Elementary, Liberty Elementary, Edison, 57% of the school is full. That's problematic. But what the school board ended up doing is rebuilding three of those schools instead of shutting them down. So the legislative uh, auditor said, look, this is a real problem for you. And so that's where we are now. So we've started the process. There have been members of the school board that have been going school to school, talking to parents, talking to teachers about what potentially could happen. Right now, it's kind of a mystery as to exactly which schools could eventually be on that list. I can tell you my school, where my son, my eight-year-old son, William, goes, you know, they have 300 students, but they also have room for 500. Mm. On the one hand, it's great because, and this is what advocates for keeping these schools open, open will tell you, is smaller class size. My son has 25 students in his class. That's great. Yeah, that still seems kind of high, honestly. It does kind of seem high, doesn't it? Yeah. But at the same time... It's really expensive to run a school like that. So we could hear as early as January 2024, uh, after they finish the process, after they crunch the numbers, there will be public hearings, and then the school board will have their discussion. Then there will be a vote. And more than likely, we're going to see some elementary schools close in Salt Lake City. It's interesting because on this show, we talk so often about how it feels like the city is growing, but then at the same time, it's getting younger and more expensive. And you have to wonder, I mean, like, I'm not a data scientist, but it does feel like all of those things are kind of mixing together in the cauldron to create low elementary school enrollment. Because Salt Lake City is seeing enrollment drop more than anywhere else in the county. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like, people are having babies in Harriman in a way that they aren't necessarily in this city. Well, and if you think about it, you're right. If you've got three kids and you want a a yard Mm -hmm. and you want a swimming pool, it's more difficult to find those things in Salt Lake City. You've got smaller lots. You've got smaller backyards. Take, for example, the avenues in Salt Lake City. We've got two schools Mm -hmm. up there, Wasatch and Enzyme Elementary. But if you walk that neighborhood, if you spend any time in that neighborhood, it's older families. Yeah, it's old ladies in big houses. I was thinking this today as I was walking, yeah. That's right. So it's difficult to fill a school when you've got uh, these demographics that are not very favorable. And yes, you're right. A lot of people moving in from California. Initially, when we had uh, a lot of this influx, a lot of those young families were moving into the suburbs and not necessarily in the city. And Ali, as you look around the city and you look at what they're building, it's not four bedroom homes. It's on every corner, there's a brand new apartment building and they're one, two, maybe three bedroom apartments. And that is not the kind of place generally a family with three kids is going to want to go. Well, on the note of closing schools, I mean, one of the pandemic adaptations that we saw was virtual school. 
And I am shocked to see that now the Salt Lake City School Board is looking at closing its virtual elementary school. I really thought virtual school was kind of the future. I thought it was going to stick. What happened there? I know, right? Didn't you think that after the pandemic where parents had an opportunity to stay home with their kids that we've done stories here at Crisis in the Classroom where we asked the question, why are we building buildings that will be around for 100 years when maybe in 25 years we may not be going to a building at all for class? So, And we hear from parents so often that they're concerned with school safety. Exactly. So it felt like it was the perfect storm, right, Allie, that this would be the perfect kind of setup for parents. But what we're finding is that virtual ended up having not as many students as they were hoping. A lot of people, a lot of those students going back to the traditional school. And I think we've seen that in the workplace too, right? A lot of us thought we'd be working from home or you get to, I can tell by your lovely art back there, but a lot of employers are asking uh, people to go back to, to work in the office. And in a lot of cases, sometimes parents want them back in the school as well. And so, you know, the money that they used to open that virtual school came from COVID funding. All of that money that all schools got during the, those two COVID years, that money's running out. And so the school board has decided that, and not yet yet, but generally speaking, it might not be money that they want to use on the virtual school anymore. It's a problematic for parents who, maybe you've got a child who's more introverted. Maybe you've got a kid who's bullied. Maybe you've got a kid who, right. who has uh, attention deficit disorder and can't function well in those crowded classrooms. So yeah. for a lot of parents, it was great, but it looks like it might not be an option in the future. So students that are high risk who are utilizing that option are just going to have to go to school. Got to find a new option, you know, got to find a new option. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's Hot Cross Buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. We're talking about school closures, but there have been calls recently and for a while now from West Side parents to open a new high school in Glendale, which despite being on the west side of the city is actually in the boundaries for East High School. 
What are the various arguments that are kind of emerging on the West Side High School debate right now? So a lot of that idea of why a lot of those West Side kids end up going to the East Side is because there was that debate, right, years ago about Mm -hmm. this idea that maybe sometimes the West Side education system was not as robust or maybe left out a little bit. So the idea was that you wanted to make sure that the kids on the west side had those opportunities perhaps on the east side. So Sounds like desegregation. Sounds like busing. It does, doesn't it? And yeah. that's and that's some of the problems that the kids have is that they're going to spend they'll spend you know, maybe an hour on the bus to get to East High School. So there there is a camp that is beginning to develop that says, "Look, why don't we have a true west side high school?" Not only because it makes practical sense, mm-hmm. but it also helps build community. And so it's difficult if you're if you're a kid who lives 45 miles away. And ha- from my own experience, when there's uh, the gallery stroll at my kid's school or there is a soccer game or something like that, I'm five minutes away. I can be part of the community. I can intermingle with those parents who I see every day. How do you build community when you're 45 minutes away? So that's been sort of the discussion about whether or not that's feasible. And the question is, is it feasible? Well, I mean, is it? Because the the legislative audit says the district has spent too much, nay, wasted too much taxpayer money keeping schools open at all costs. I get the impression they can't afford to build more schools right now. And West, the existing school sort of on the West side, barely on the West side, West High needs so much money in repairs. It's basically on the verge of being condemned. Like, what is the playbook? Well, and, and here, here are the priorities for the school district. Rebuilding Highland High and rebuilding West High School. First of all, those are going to be two big political battles. Parents mm. don't want them to tear down those buildings and rebuild them. But there's the financial element to it as well. To b- rebuild those schools, they're talking about, you know, $600 million to build a th- a, an additional school, a Glendale-based high school, would mean you're talking $900 million, particularly in an environment when what we've already talked about so far, a school board that some people have some questions about their trustworthiness. (laughs) We've got a legislative audit that suggests that maybe they weren't spending their money as wisely as they could. I'm not sure, particularly with a talk of of a recession rolling in, I don't know what the appetite of voters would be to put almost a billion dollars in bond on the ballot in November to build three new schools. Yeah. I mean, that would be, that's got to be one of the biggest bonds we would have ever seen on the ballot in this city. I think, I think you're right. I mean, the parks bond was 85 million, not nowhere near a billion dollars. (laughs) Yeah. A billion dollars is a lot of money. I only have half a billion dollars in my (laughs) bank account. Hey, can I borrow $100,000? I can't. It's all tied up in real estate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does feel weird, too, to be like talking about building high schools when we're closing elementary schools. You got to imagine that what closing elementary schools means is that in 10 years, you're going to have too few students to populate the high schools. That's how the trend works, right? You would think, right? And it's odd, though, because the high schools are have too many students. And as I understand it, that's above capacity for all of them. So yeah. 
so you're right, you know, building a new school when you're closing down elementary schools. And it, and it could have something to do with, you know, the, the International Baccalaureate program over at West draws a lot of students uh, from outside of boundaries. So it could, it could have something to do with that. But ultimately, you're right, like West High School, you know, they got bats literally in the belfries there uh, yeah. flying around. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there, there could be a really strong argument that that needs to build as well as needs to be rebuilt as well as Highland. Yeah. Well, on that note, when we think about like closing these school buildings, I mean, I remember when they closed a school in my hometown, it became an art museum. Who decides what becomes of the building and the resources inside of it? Like, are there examples in the valley of former schools that have been closed and converted to other things? I don't know if you're familiar with Open Classroom. That's in the avenues. It is a charter school and it used to be called Lowell Elementary and they shut Mm -hmm. it down, I think, in 2004. And the building is still owned by the Salt Lake City School District, but it is, I believe, leased by Open Classroom. And it's a charter school, so they continue to operate out of that building. It's a lovely little building. And there used to be a a school called uh, Roslyn Heights Elementary. It was shut down, and now it's the uh, School for the Performing Arts. And it's a charter school as well. However, that building has reached its end of life. Interesting to hear you saying that closing these public schools could open the door for them to be leased by charter schools because we don't really have time to get into the charter school debate on this particular episode, but it is a fierce one. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, we're in an interesting time in terms of charter schools. We're working on a story here, and I'll, so I'll give you a preview. But in the last, like, couple of years, 20 charters have applied to become charter schools. All have been declined. In Utah or in Salt Lake? In Utah. So it speaks to this idea that, you know, there's a question and a debate. Has the, the charter school movement plateaued a little bit? Um, there was some some legislation in this most previous legislative session that allows for additional charter grant people who can char- grant a charter. So like Westminster, I think, has the ability to do it. Uh, Utah Tech. So a bunch of colleges are going to be getting into the business of granting charters to schools, which makes wow. sense. But but for the most part, Allie, we're at kind of a plateau in a lot of ways. Well, figuring out a lot of this is going to be under the purview of Salt Lake City School District's new superintendent, Dr. Elizabeth Grant, who was hired without public input and is going to be making a heck of a lot more money every year than her predecessors, though, you know, potentially. (laughs) This is a huge job. That's what I'll say on that. But it is hard not to compare her hiring process to the hiring process of former superintendent, Dr. Timothy Gadsden. That was a pretty intense hiring process. That was very open. In fact, when they finally narrowed it down to three final candidates, each of those had an hour-long Zoom meeting that the public could join, could ask questions, could get to know them, meet them. And that happened on three different days. And so you know, there were a few hundred people who had an opportunity to talk to these candidates. And in this process in which we hired Dr. Grant, that did not happen. And, you know, in fact, like they they made a point of not allowing us to know who the candidates were. I did a public records request to find out. I knew that there had been 16 applicants for the job, but 
I did this public records request and they refused to tell me who even the candidates were. So we had to kind of do our own digging. They interviewed something like eight of those candidates, Dr. Grant, of course, being one of them. But you're right, we, we didn't know who it was going to be until they finally announced her name two weeks ago. She has a lot to clean up in one summer before school starts this fall. As an education reporter, what kind of indicators are you tracing to measure her success? Well, I, I think she comes in with a pretty good pedigree. She has a lot of things that I think a lot of parents would want, a lot of teachers would want. She is a former teacher. She is a former principal here in Salt Lake City. She was an associate professor at George Washington University. She did a lot of work with the DC school district, which might be one of the most complex, one of the largest in the country. And I spoke to her former boss or soon to be former boss, the Dean of the education school at GW. And he said, look, when it comes to education, it's not about being necessarily a good teacher or necessarily a good administrator or necessarily a good politician. You have to be all three. And he says that she's uniquely qualified to sort of navigate the politics of a big city school district. And politics is really, to get back to your original question, is kind of going to be the question, is going to be the thing that I watch. Can she navigate the peculiarities of the members of this board? Granted, it's a relatively new board. There was an election in November. But is she going to be able to thread the needle, so to speak, when it comes to all these different personalities and all these different political agendas that she's going to have to deal with? I think if she can do that, then she has a great chance to be successful. I think she's got the educational backgrounds mm -hmm. and she carries herself in a way that, you know, when, you're, when you've been doing this job long enough and your job, you, you can guide it, kind of get a sense of their personality. She seems like a very sober-minded person. And so I think the district, you know, for all the questions about transparency, I think these board members uh, kind of, really landed a big one. I think some people I talk to say that she might be too qualified for this job or overqualified. Uh -huh. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of wind in her sails. And I think there's a lot of hope for what she can bring to the district. Well, I mean, for a board that can barely decide if they even like each other, they did vote for her unanimously. Yeah. So that maybe feels like a step in the right direction. I think you can take that as a win. Yeah. Chris Jones, education reporter for KUTV. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot today. Absolutely. Thank you. A recent report from the CDC recommended investing in schools as a vital lifeline to protecting students' mental health. And the state of Utah has been taking baby steps. In 2020, Representative Steve Ellison passed a bill offering district and charter schools statewide half a million dollars in funding to offer mental health screenings, similar to how schools already screen for vision and hearing. But KSL reports that less than half our schools are actually doing it. Suicide is the number one cause of death for children in Utah, and that number is particularly striking in central Utah, where the highest percentage of schools aren't opting in to this mental health screening program. For its part, the Salt Lake City School District is participating. If you or anyone you know, by the way, is struggling with thoughts of suicide, you can always call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 988. There is help available 24 hours a day. 
That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city.